Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, presented to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. We have an episode of My Racing Life and Career with the super awesome Kara Adams, Firestone Racing's chief race tire engineer responsible, along with her team, for creating the tires that have made IndyCar incredibly fast, incredibly safe, and super awesome for decades. And with Kara, the latest in a long line of amazing Firestone Chief Race Tire Engineers. We have someone who's not only continuing the tradition, at least from the first person I met, Paige Mater, back, back, back in the day in the late 80s. If someone who is also making a pretty big impact with her role, not only being a pioneer in terms of gender, but just someone who really realizes that what she does in this space of engineering, math, physics, science, you name it, this is something where Kara can have a bigger, and I would say and argue a greater impact outside of motor racing. That being from her role, an active participant in educating and speaking to young girls, young boys, young everything, trying to bring those who maybe have not looked at the various disciplines she uses to perform her role for Firestone, possibly in careers when these next generation and next next generations uh, look to move into the workplace. I hope we do have them in motor racing, but one way or the other, we know that the work Kara is doing is not limited to going around in circles, turning left and right, braking and accelerating with Firestone's tires, but also truly trying to create a legacy where there are dozens, if not hundreds, of future Kara Adams who can point back and say, wow, she really, truly, like a teacher in school or a coach in sports, had a massive impact on shaping my future and what I have become and or my interests. So this weaves in and out of those themes along with Kara's origins, her family, which is pretty amazing, her passions and interests outside the sport. So all together, knowing how big of a role Kara continues to play and that continues to grow in IndyCar, figured it was time to sit down and record this, which we did about a year ago at Texas in 2018, where there's some issues going on there, and she and the Firestone team were dealing with quickly and resolving to the best of their ability, which is also a part of the job. All right, well, let's get going. Kara Adams, my racing life and career here on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. You're someone who I've seen become someone who is trusted among the IndyCar paddock. I think folks at home are listening in, have gotten to know you a bit more. And I was wanting to sit down and continue that. Having known some of your predecessors at Firestone very well. Paige Mater, uh, he's always looked relatively young, but uh, known a lot of folks who uh, have been in this lead engineer role of yours. But I figure folks need to know who you are, because it's fascinating to see what you have achieved, what you've wanted to achieve, and how you've gotten that. So let's go all the way back. Where are you from? Tell me about your family. All the way back. Akron, Ohio. So rubber capital of the world. That works, right? 
So I am a daughter of two educators. My mom is a science teacher. My dad is a university language professor. You didn't have a chance to be a volleyball player no or a, a musician. No chance. Well, part of the story is my mom, she wanted to be an accountant. Or she wanted to be a teacher, but her mother wanted her to be an accountant. And so was she was always pushing her, always pushing her. And my mom decided that whatever I wanted to do, that's what I was going to do. But she, it, being in the science teacher background, she exposed me to science very much in an early age. And it was something that I just loved. I mean, to me, science was toys, projects, making things work. Uh, we had these neighborhood science camps and some people turn a, a little bit of a nose up when I tell them that we we actually got parts from butchers and we were looking at the retinas and corneas of cow's eyeballs because that's what we had. Wow. So we did, I mean, physics stuff, chemistry stuff, like making slime uh, before it was a Pinterest thing, before Pinterest was a thing, before the internet was a thing, we were doing all of these really cool things and learning about it in a really fun manner. So for me, science was just always fun. It was always like, I want to do that because that's fun. If I do that, I can play with mechanical things when I grew up. So I didn't really think about science and until I started to get to know my grandfather a little bit more. And Marshall, you and I have talked before about my grandfather being an engineer at NASA. Yes. Man, if I could go back in time and have more conversations with him about what he did, I, I I would give anything for that. So what we knew or what he had talked to us beforehand is that he was an engineer on the launch team. He worked on Apollo and space shuttle m missions. Um, he was working on the swing door system and the cooling systems for the space shuttle. Wow. So, I mean, really yeah. big stuff, really yeah. big deal. And I never really had a chance to have a lot of conversations about that. You know, what was it like? What did you learn? I do know he was on the launch team going through some stuff, found this old uh, space shuttle jacket, launch operations jacket. Wow. It was just amazing. So going through some pictures, Dave First was doing an article and he wanted to find out some information about that. I saw those things and I like literally tears in my eyes seeing all of this historic stuff. My wife was born early 70s and at least in the uh, south southern region that she was born in Alabama might have been I mean there's some culture ethnicity socioeconomic factors weighed in she was not raised in a house where dream for the stars was really part of uh, anything and second she was also not raised in a house where uh, gender-neutral treatment was included. There were some fairly, I would say, common strictures, right? You're a girl. These are kind of girlish areas in life to focus on. It sounds like the household you grew up in was free of those things, which sounds pretty amazing. If we talked about a, a young uh, girl or woman being raised in that today, it might not surprise us so much, but it sounds like time and placing for you might have been unique. Yeah, absolutely. Early 80s, uh, my mom was the science one. Yeah, they were both teachers. My mom was the science one. My dad always wanted me to do whatever I wanted to do, so that was good too. But I saw my mom as the science role model. And it's really interesting these days. There's a lot of people I know in the racing world. Um, one of the engineers I follow on Twitter, he was telling me that his daughter, who was very young, he she was somebody told her at daycare that she couldn't be a scientist. She couldn't be an engineer because she was a girl. And she went out crying. This is a very successful engineer in Formula One. And that's the I, I heard that. And I just I mean, it broke my heart a little bit. And 
I feel like we have a responsibility to people that don't have the ability to have households or have areas that show that it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status, that you can do these things. And that's one of my favorite things about this job is that I get to be able to talk to young girls that are at the track or connect with them online. And just to, you know, honestly, it's say, if I can do this, anybody can do this sort of deal. So I'm getting ahead here. But for those who listen to my podcast, you know, they aren't always the most linear thing. How aware are you and how do you deal with, if you are aware, of the importance of you being in this role? Uh, whether, you know, it was a, at the aforementioned Paige Mater or Dale Harrigal, uh, a white man in his 40s or whatever being uh, head of Firestone Racing's uh, department, no one would think about that you... Alina Gade, many other women today, we can look at and say, aha, you're not just doing your job at a high level, but you also represent something bigger. How much do you feel that? Do you even let that on board? It's a little bit of a weight, Marshall. Like, I, I realize that, and I um, I know that there are people that look up to that. I don't think that there are many people that judge, but certainly that that, that could happen, and I don't. I don't ever want what I'm doing to be a negative reflection on what women can do. Sure. And it's not pe that people hold me to that standard. It's just a little kind of voice or a little narrative in the back of my head. Um, going back to Dale and Paige, both of them throughout their careers were focused on building team. Um, one of the things you go back to some of the early things that Harvey Firestone said about teams, uh, the highest calling of leadership is the growth and development of people. Sorry, I was trying to remember that quote. Um, but that was one thing that they were always focused on wow. is building their team. So Paige and especially Dale, they gave me assignments that were a little bit ahead of my time. They gave me more than they thought I could handle. And they gave me areas to grow and areas to push myself. So not just in the typical things an engineer would do, but also things like looking at big picture budgets and big picture where are we going to be in five years? And even things like, you know, team development and leadership. And they worked very hard to make sure I was in the situations that I would need to be that once the chief engineer position opened up, that I would be not just the best person to take it, but also be prepared for what lay ahead of me. Maybe what the stuff you didn't know, they're trying to get you ready for, you know, the old, you don't know what you don't know. Yes. They're trying to satisfy as much of that as possible. Let's go back to schooling and education. So knowing that innate curiosity is clearly a part of your upbringing, how much are you thinking, uh, you know, during your you know, junior high school and whatnot before you go on to university. But how much of this are you thinking in terms of, I want to learn as much as I can because I love learning? How much of it, it might have some sort of professional angle? Just curious what the the mind frame of learning was for you. So I think it started a little bit with, we were talking about before, just the science as fun. But I realized I had an aptitude for math and for science where I could sit in an English class and I could come up with a okay short story, but there's no way I could ever be a, a writer. I always joke with our director of motorsports, Lisa Boggs, that 
you do the words, I do the math. <laughs> um, so I had that had that aptitude for math and science at an early early age, and then just as I went through high school, all of the AP classes and and that sort of development. It wasn't really until I got into college that I started to become interested in racing. Um, we've talked about before that I just wandered down into the machine shop. It's the basement of our mechanical engineering building. And somebody had invited me down there, come see what we do. And I walked in and I'm like, hey, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? What are you guys working on? And they're like, well, we're, we're making a race car. I'm like, oh, race cars. I've known nothing about that, but that sounds cool. You know, can I help? So like so many people you've talked to in the past, Marshall, we've got a lot of people that started off in some kind of collegiate design program, a lot of people in this Formula SAE. And some people started with an interest in cars and some people like me didn't know anything about cars when I started. So I started cleaning shop floors mm. and here's this part. I need you to mark it up like this. So using layout die, scribing lines on parts so other people could cut it until I learned how to use the machine tools. I think, and I've said this before, I learned a lot in my mechanical engineering degree, but I think I learned even more through doing Formula SAE. There's so much on teamwork, how you how you are in a team, um, just as far as racing, what, what it takes to build a successful race car, what it takes to understand the vehicle dynamics behind it. There are so many different aspects of Formula C that whenever I talk to students that are looking at racing, that's that's huge. So you are building the mental side, the intellectual side, but you're also satisfying the hands-on first person, look at that cut on my finger and look yes. at that scrape here. And I don't view those as a negatives. Those are actually cool little milestones and markers in my progress. Let's talk about that. So mechanical engineering as a background in university, Formula SAE obviously giving you a lot of that practical experience. What's going through your mind then in terms of your future, right? Because I think that's a big thing. All right, I have this piece of paper from some smart people who signed it and says I have a degree in something. Well, they don't give me money just for having that piece of paper. What's your mindset coming out of school? So towards the end of school and coming out of school, I thought it would be really cool to be involved in mechanical engineering and racing in some way. Um, but one of the things that kind of is, I hate to say this, but it goes around in the Formula SA world or even the school world is that you just can't get on a race team. You have to know somebody. You can't just go work in racing. It's something everybody wants to do and they only hire the the best of the best and um it just probably not something that's going to work I'm out. living proof that isn't true but yes that is <laughs> right. a common common belief it's it's a maybe a common belief and maybe too many people talk about the fact that you just can't get into racing and i don't believe that's true i think if you work hard and if you find a way and you connections are great yes absolutely but if you work hard and you talk to people at least enough people in racing somebody's going to be able to help you out and say, maybe you could consider this. Maybe like our engine's your thing. Maybe maybe you want to go work for Elmore, Honda, a Chevy. Um, it, there's so many different aspects to get involved in racing. But I think initially when I was starting out, I thought it would be really cool to work for a race team, had interviewed for a few different companies, none of which were racing related initially, um, had a, <laughs> a really funny interview with a company whose name we won't mention, but they ended up telling me that they hired 20% female out of school. And usually they had to hire them 
in the group that I was interviewing with because it was a safety group. And I was literally told in the interview, Marshall, we hire women because of their maternal instincts. And I thought, oh, crap, I don't have a maternal bone in my body. I don't know how this is going to work. But I was I, I was so bothered by what they said in that interview that I told them I didn't want the job. My middle name's Quota. Can you please <laughs> yeah. just hire me? That, that's why I was born. That's, that's what it felt like. And it was really disappointing to me at the time because I really wanted to work in an automotive field. And that was at that time, that was the job offer that I had. And I was like, oh, I should have taken that. I mean, I should have just put up with it. And then maybe I could have worked my way in racing. But then I found this phenomenal company and this phenomenal job here that I... I'm happy. I'm really happy with what I'm doing. Let's talk about coming to Firestone and where you start there. Uh, I'm sure they didn't say, here's the IndyCar series. Ah, yes. oh, Angel sung, and you were given everything you wanted. Yes. Tell us about where you started. And I'm sure, uh, not as if uh, Bridgestone Firestone doesn't pay a good living wage for everybody, but I'm, I'm guessing you weren't going out and buying Rolls Royces uh, with the salary from your first no, job. No, no, I wasn't going out buying Audi RS4s with the, with the first paycheck. Um, my, my first job was in our tire vehicle dynamics group. So I started out as a junior engineer there, and essentially that group helps match the tire to the car. So if there is some sort of issue in engine manufacturer is seeing, engine manufacturer, I've been in IndyCar too long, a vehicle <laughs> manufacturer <laughs> is seeing, um, we would go and we would look and see what that issue is, see if it's tire related, see if it's vehicle re- related, determine vehicle sensitivities to different type of tire inputs. So I learned a lot in that. And there's a lot of things that you realize about the automotive development world that just are kind of eye-opening. It could be in the middle of a development cycle. Uh, maybe it's your last prototype build of tires and the last version of the car. And they might cost reduce a bushing out, which code completely changes the NVH capabilities of a, of a car. Um, totally would change what you're looking at for the limits that you would put on tires for that vehicle. So it's really interesting. We learned anything from one of the projects I worked with was a car that would uh, essentially wear out the tires after a number of laps. And we were able to take the vehicle, put it on our kinematics and compliance rig. So for those of you not so technical, it's a machine where you can control the angle of the steering wheel and look at how the suspension behaves under load. And we were able to do some testing there. And we found something in the rear suspension that looked a little bit more like a race car hmm. than a passenger car. We were able to go through some things and come up with a understanding of what happened on that car and understand why not just our tires, but other tires were wearing out. So you chose a company and career line that is not something where you have, I don't want to say easy days, but compared to someone who is sitting at their desk and responding to client emails and maybe tapping at the calculator a little bit, um, sitting in on meetings, the planning to plan meetings and such, it seems to me like you're either taking uh, a lot of aspirin before or at the end of the day because your brain, I mean, you willfully jumped into something, not a surprise based on your parents, but where brain power is kind of the thing that is powering what you're doing on a daily basis. Is that a comfortable position for you to be in with your first major job out of college? Yeah, I think I think a comfortable is actually 
I, I am much more happy if you set me down with data and computers. Um, I am an introvert. You'd be surprised but listening to some of my interviews. But at the end of the day, I like to recharge with myself, my husband, my, my cats even. Um, so that's that's where I go. As I, it's interesting talking to even some of the drivers that are really outgoing. Just Joseph Newgarden is another one that I've heard say he's an introvert. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're my people. <laughs> yeah. But yes, um, data, numbers, those kind of things are, are great for me. For me to be able to solve a problem that 10 people have looked at and not come up with a solution. That's the kind of thing that I loved doing even out of school. So being able to come up with a, a solution or an idea or a product that nobody else has thought of before or a way to do things that nobody else has thought of before, those are the type of things that really drive me. So in that aspect, I loved what I did in my first position, but I knew I wanted to work in racing. So we were talking Paige earlier. I introduced myself to Paige within a couple weeks of working into the company. And I was like, hey, I'm Kara. I love racing. I did Formula SAE. I realized how naive now I sounded at the time. But I was like, I I did Formula SAE. I love racing. Um, I would love to work in your group someday. Can you tell me what kind of skills you're looking for in your ideal engineer? And Paige just kind of looked at me like, (laughs) Strange bird I have here. Paige is amazing. So Paige went back and he talked to Dale, who was the oval tire engineer at the time. said, you know... Somebody came up to me and were asking, was asking, you know, what what we're looking for. What are we looking for? And they talked about it. And I went to talk to him a couple of weeks later. And he said, yeah, we've talked about it. We've come up with these things that um, we're looking for. So I was like, great. So um, I've told you about this before, but went out and bought textbooks. And I just started studying the things that I didn't know and volunteering for things in my current role that might get me to the point where I'd be more useful. So I took on a development of some... Uh, steering model for some NVH work and some on-center feeling for passenger cars that would develop my understanding of how tire models work and how vehicle models work. So when we went to the point where there was a position opening, I had done, I had developed a steering model for our passenger side of the world. And I had read several books on vehicle dynamics. Um, I started doing a lot of programming because that was another thing that they said that they wanted to see. So it was it was good. I always like to joke that I had the answer key, but it was going in there. And it that's one of the things that I talk to people that are ask me questions about how do you get in racing is just a lot of it's just diligence. So get uncomfortable. Like go talk to people that you might not be f- comfortable talking to. Chances are they will give you some time or at least put put you in contact with other people that might be able to help you out. So I asked the question about the mental workload that you've engaged and really has been the core of what you do. Because I know for myself, I consider myself to be fairly intelligent. I know that I have done complex things in life, been to university, been an engineer, done a lot of different things, but I also find myself, this maybe I'm, this is just me, I need a fair amount of mental coast time. Something where numbers thinking whatever it is um that on off switch i my brain needs more off time than maybe is is good but i'm fascinated by folks like yourself who can keep that switch on for so long not saying you don't that it's always on but engaging in a profession where good lord crunching and thinking and breaking through problems nonstop seems like it's this endless loop 
but you found you found your center there. Right. That that's again to me it's just it's fascinating because I know that character wise, uh, brain power wise, I could not do that. Small good old Prude, he's good for about five hours a week and he's junked the rest. I couldn't do it for forty, fifty, however many hours. So it, again, it, it's. Uh, part of this is, for me is just trying to understand how other people are. Well, of course, there is a limit, too. Uh, if I get to a project where I've been working many, many hours a day, several days in a row, I start to get start to lose details. So I think like anybody, you can overtax your brain. So I get to the point where, you know, I just start forgetting people's names. I don't forget numbers so much. It's just more names and, and things like that. I know when I start getting tired, I'm like, ah, Mar- Marshall, Marshall, <laughs> right? So it's 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 more of a I'll start to lose names after so many days of so much in a row. So I, I like everybody, I, I need some downtime. Um, my my brain is one that just is always always on. So even when I'm trying to sleep at night, I'm solving problems. I'm oh wait, let me jot that down just in case I don't remember uh. it tomorrow. So I'm one of those unfortunate people whose just brain just never shuts off. So in your career you are developing you are learning uh let's step out to your i don't say private life but your personal life because there in theory there's some balance racing can i think racing or any high level sport you'll find a lot of people who are active participants there's not as much balance as maybe as healthy what are you doing? What are the things that you're doing outside of work in your personal life, either friends, activities, or otherwise, where you go, all right, that's my me time that's keeping me in the, the right place? So absolutely. Friends and family, very key. I have some really, really close friends that just, you know, after a, a long week can kind of download and, and just really have some time to connect. That's really important to me. I am, I found a an outlet in athletics so I do triathlons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do love, I started running and I did a couple marathons and I went to a doctor and the doctor says, oh, you don't have much cartilage left in your knee. Maybe you oh. should consider cross training. So like the overachiever I am, I thought, hmm, if I did triathlons, I could cross train and an Ironman is a triathlon. So that's <laughs> technically cross training. So yeah, my knees don't look so good. Aww. But I, I do love I do love athletics. It's it's one of the few times that my brain can shut off. So that's one of the things that I found that I absolutely love is when you are going 100% on a run or you're lifting or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you can't think about the world's problems while you're in a swimming pool. Like when you're actually doing hard laps, all I can think about is breathing and how many laps I've done. So um, I'm lucky to be able to think about the points of my stroke that I need to work on. So that to me is a fantastic release. Uh, I was talking to IndyCar in December and they said, oh, we have this great opportunity for you. Would you be interested in training for American Ninja Warrior? I started laughing. I said, you know, I'm a triathlete, right? I have no upper body strength. I can't do at the time. It's like, I can't even do a proper push-up. Like, I can maybe do a girl push-up, but that's about that's about all I can do. Um, no chance that I could do. Yeah, and that up. shows 99% upper body. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Upper body and core, 100%. So we're looking at that, and, and I, they said, well, would you consider it? And I was like, i consider anything. <laughs> so like the crazy person I am, I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to cut back on the biking a little bit and change my running a little bit. I'll go out and I'll hire a personal trainer that knows more about doing this. I'm all about going to the expert 
in the field that they're at. So I found somebody that was a general fitness specialist and they put together a program for me. And by the time I had to submit my application, which was a couple of months afterwards, I could actually do pull-ups, like wow. from a dead hang pull-ups. So I've, it's something that I've, I'm really proud of, the amount of strength that I was able to gain. Again, you have to, me, I'm all about numbers. You know this. So my my trainers gives me these repeated workouts that are, he calls them five by fives. And it's basically like five by five pull-ups and uh, bench press and a few other different things that you're doing. And you're... I record what I do because, of course, of course. we're engineers and we love data. There's data. Answer and he says, how are the five-by-fives coming? I'm like, okay, just a minute. And I put together an email with a graph and Excel and, <laughs> and I sent it to him. And he's like, what is this? And I said, well, you asked how my five-by-fives were doing, so I sent you a graph. He goes, I have never had a client send me a graph before. Wow. I said, well, there you go. An 8% but improvement look at the here. Slope. Yes, then, yeah. exactly. You're killing me, Kara. <laughs> so... As your career is moving forward uh, within Firestone, racing and your Formula SAE uh, experience, how much of that are you still drawing from? How much of that is serving you even as you're moving up, uh, I don't want to just say, you know, levels in the company, but just responsibility and duties? Is there a point where that experience is helping less and you're just learning new things that are in a different field or is that still a place that's helping propel you? So I love this question. This is not everything, anything I've ever thought about, but as you're answer, asking this question, I'm thinking there are different areas of my Formula SAE experience that I'm pulling from. Um, one of our newest engineers, Anna, she's fantastic. She came from Formula SAE at the University of Akron, just like I did. There are things that I'm pulling from that with a, you know, how to motivate younger engineers, hmm. not so much younger anymore. <laughs> I don't fall into that younger category, but um, it's there are different aspects of that that I pull from. So yeah, not all of it was the vehicle dynamics and teamwork. Um, there are different aspects of that that I pull from. There's so much on the job learnings and so many things that I've learned about from team, from different managers and dealing with different types of people. I think that I've been able to pull from that a lot. Um, the one challenge as you get more responsibility and you talk to more people is being able to communicate with not just engineers. Yeah, yeah. Engineers like engineer speak. I'll give you lots of numbers. In fact, we were doing a press release for the new rain tire and I sent our PR guys a note about here are the changes in the tire and I used the word conformity. Which, looking back on that, for those of you listening along, conformity basically means all of the angles line up. That's the better way of saying it. So um, I, I said that and a couple of other things, and our poor PR guy just looked at it, and he goes, I spent an hour reading a paper on lateral force on the internet. And he goes, I think I'm even more confused than when I started. I was like, oh, all right, all right, let me, let me redo this. But not just being able to talk so other people can understand it, but... I'm not just talking to engineers anymore. I'm talking to people that are team owners, people that understand marketing really well, people that are involved in different areas of the sport. And so those people need different types of information communicated and differently. Um, one of the other great things I learned from Dale was how to communicate with different types of people. So one of the things that can be a challenge as an engineer is not to sound condescending, right? As I, that's, I see this with a lot of engineers professionally where 
they can explain at a very high level or they can explain like they're talking to a kid. And so the, there's a big challenge of not being able to or being able to not do that, right? Because I've seen that happen way too many times is it just people tend to get a little bit above themselves. So, so I, I would assume you did have two great uh, role models in Dale and Paige because you, you mentioned something I was wanting to ask. Paige... Very much everybody's friend, yes. right? Just not only a sweetheart of a person, if he didn't tell you that he was a racing tire engineer, you would never know. You could talk to him about whatever. We we saw him at, at Indy and, you know, he looks like he's going to Jimmy Buffett concert. I don't know, <laughs> but just, right? But that's Paige. Brilliant mind, amazing experience. But his personality is one to where that isn't necessarily the first thing that's offered. Dale, on the other side, I always thought of as a traditional engineer, mm-hmm. someone who is very focused uh, from that phase. I would think the two of them, while they're you know giving you different roles, different jobs to do to try and build you into this role you're in now, I'd have to imagine you're fairly fortunate to have these two different types did the same thing, but in vastly different ways. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, both of them had very different management styles, and they were both very successful at what they did. So not just engineers in that department or managers in that department, but even the, the departments that I worked at before, um, and even place, the place I worked as a co-op, you learn different things, and you pull different things from everybody. And back to the co-op days, I learned what not to do, right? So Yes, I was very fortunate to have both of them as role models and managers, and I still keep in touch with Paige, and Dale works in our trade tire development group as a chief engineer over there. So um, I have this interaction with them, and you know, even yesterday during qualifying, I was text, I had a text message with both of them. I said, do you either of you remember how hot it was at Pikes Peak back in 1996? Because I was trying to compare temperatures on pit lane yeah. yesterday, which were 138.7 out in turn one, two, <laughs> and to see whether we ran higher at Pikes Peak. We did, by the way, it was 141 at Pikes wow. Peak. But um, I, I still chat with them every once in a while when we have when we have things and um, when I have questions that I know they're going to remember a lot quicker than I was because I might not have been around. So before you uh, were promoted and selected for this role, which you know, Lisa Boggs is obviously uh, overseeing the entire racing group. But in terms of a that out front person, you know, you are following in the footsteps and being handed the baton from some highly respected folks. Before that, as uh, you know, Dale Dale's new role was on the horizon. Do you a have a feeling like this could be the next chapter for you? And B, do you have a feeling for what kind of rapport you've built within the paddock with the drivers, with the race engineers, if and when that door did open, or these folks that you felt like would say, cool, she's one of us, naturally, this is where she would go, or was that not 100% solid inside you? Um, I think, again, I've got to credit the people before me, but I think that's been the case. Um, I as far as people understanding that, hey, she did a great job when she was an engineer. And yes, it makes sense that she is in the in the position that she's in now. So one of the things I respect the heck out of Firestone for is they promote based on talent. Mm. So it's it's talent and talent alone. So um, they will groom you for spots and they will make sure they give you the opportunities to do what 
what you can do. And in fact, that's a huge part of my job now is, you know, looking at all of my engineers and seeing, do they want to be managers? Do they want to be technical experts? What do they want to do? But I, I think because I was in so many different types of roles that put me in contact with teams, one of the things that Page actually one of the things that Dale did is that he put me in charge of the team testing, so tire testing. So I would have to call Mike Hall and say, "Hey, is Scott Dixon available for X date? We'd like to have him tire test," and then work with tire testing contracts. So working with the track, so I got some of those a little bit higher visibility, maybe not so much engineering roles, to be able to make some of these contacts. So when it the job came open. Um, that's, I think it was a little bit of a natural fit. And I think I felt that. I think I had a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, super glad to have you in this role. Um, I, you know, I remember Bobby Rahel came nice. up to me and he said, hey, this is a great fit. So glad to see that you're there. So I, I think so. It's, it's, I still rely very much on my team, just like Dale and Paige relied on us. So it's, it's definitely a, a team thing. And I realize the, the gravity of that, too. And I ask because your role is one that is so unique on pit lane, different from a uh, person from, say, Ilmore or Team Chevy on the engine front or Honda or Dallara. Trust mm-hmm. is really a massive part. And that's why I was asking because it's one thing to be promoted into a role it's another thing with this unique thing of being the company the person in charge of the tires that you know truly the only things connecting drivers to the track if an engine blows you can't necessarily point and go damn you fred you know whatever it is Mm -hmm. you're in a position where if there is a problem you know that you have uh, every pair of eyes looking your direction so again that trust and developing that it's non-technical, it's non-engineering, it's non-science. That's the human side. So it's cool to hear that the reaction was one of like, yeah, absolutely, she's she's the right one. And I know that I saw and felt that as well, but I don't know if you had, had received that. But let's stay on trust. Because I feel bad for you sometimes, Kara, because trust is earned in your role. I mean, and anybody who would be in your position uh, in any other series as a tire supplier, trust is a wonderful thing. Boy, it can go away quickly. Yes, it's huge. How do you manage that? Because, again, you didn't, you're not going to get that in school. Yeah. You're probably going to have to build that within yourself, you know, whatever you can. That side, I'm guessing, is something where you go, we don't pray that everything goes well tonight because prayer as much as we might have our own personal beliefs uh that's not why you have an entire engineering department making these tires but how do you deal with that knowing that trust is something that can be a cloaking blanket of warmth and love and then ripped away so it's huge and my personal view on this is clarity and honesty one of the things that we get from teams is other suppliers don't tell us the truth not that they're not telling the truth, but they get the, the perception of, we'll tell you what we want you to hear. And that's not anything against these other suppliers, but I tend towards relatively brutal honesty. Um, when we see something that we don't like, we go talk to the teams. Um, I like to keep as much of an open relationship as I can. 
the drivers know that if they want to text message me some something, I have a good number of people that text message me when they're not happy, and I love it. I love the fact that Sebastian Caporte can come up to me on pit lane and say, Kara, we need to talk about this. Mm. So I, having that openness and honesty is huge. Um, and then I think they see how passionate I am about them, their safety, the our product that we have out there. Um, I think one of the things that made it might have been a turning point for Dale and realizing my potential is we got to something where we were, it, we were talking about a race that, that was several years ago, and somebody had made the comment that, well, we'll just hope for the best. And I, I don't think I overreacted, but I know I pounded my fist on the table and I yelled at the entire group and I was like, we don't hope for the best at Firestone. We always, always do absolutely everything it takes to put the right product out on the track. And everybody stopped and looked at me and they're like, Kara just yelled at us. What was that? But I think, I think the drivers understand that I have that sense of we do whatever it takes. Um, and I don't, I, I have such a, um, a passion for the, you know, making sure we do the right thing, making sure it's always the right thing, making sure they're always safe. Uh, this is, this is something that I don't, don't take lightly. And I think, I think people understand that. So I think the trust comes from there. Um, even when we have things that are minor it issues or glitches or things that happen, I still have drivers say, okay, what, what is it? Like, what are, what are, what's the prognosis? And then they say, okay. And I, I don't take that trust lightly, Marshall. So you mentioned learning from some folks that you've been colleagues with on personality types. Some folks need this, some folks need that. Obviously now, as someone overseeing and managing a group, that's a big part of what you do. Let's extend that out to the IndyCar drivers, though. Uh, One person who I regularly tell my listeners who I just love to death is Juan Montoya, one of the world's most gifted race car drivers ever, period the worst person in the world to ask about chassis information. How's it feeling? You, you can listen to his teammate who might say, Oh my goodness, you know, we've done this thing to the car this weekend. It could be a new damping package, whatever. It's got the worst understeer I've ever had. And you go, Oh cool. And you go talk to Montoya. He's like, meh, whatever it is. Eh, not really. It's fine. And you go, but he would, meh. Yeah. Because the guy's talent is such to where that problem is happening he, his brain says, do this thing to solve it. Usually involves a little bit of opposite lock. The lap time is there. He's not bothered by it. End of statement. But then you go to, you mentioned uh, Sebastian Bourdais, or even his countryman, maybe there's a theme here, uh, Simon Pagino, who perfection is a starting point. Like, the, you know, perfection's at the bottom end of the okay range, and <laughs> yes. it must be better from there. What's it like for you working with drivers, you know, regardless of what engine manufacturer aligned with, knowing that you could have a mercurial talent, but he or she might not be able to tell you anything. And then there are others where you go, okay, I got it. My phone's dead. The battery's gone. I've, there, I can't do with any more data. How do you manage that with the different drivers? So that is really interesting. Is something I tell my new engineers about, or we talk about in the engineering team, is that there are some drivers that might give you circular feedback. And there are some drivers that will give you very clear and concise feedback. Um, 
knowing the driver, knowing the personality, and actually sometimes even knowing the engineer, I couldn't understand Will Power's comments to save my life when I started working with him. And I would go over to Dave Hostino and go, all right, Dave, when he says tippy, what does that mean? What does that? I don't even know that word. What does that mean? So, and Dan Weldon was another one. That I was just like, he's talking, he's saying things, but I'm just not getting his them. words speak not good. <laughs> words speak not good, exactly. And then you have the drivers, like you said, like Montoya, that said, yeah, I'll drive it, absolutely. And there's a lot of mixed feedback. I mean, you have different cars. Like last year, you had different aero kits. You have different engine packages this year. Different setups. Different teams. Some teams have a this is my team mentality, and if you talk to any driver across that team, they're going to give you the same feedback, whether that's the feedback that they actually have or whether that's team feedback. This is what we th- yeah. what we want. Um, most of the drivers, and even even those drivers, most of the drivers will tell you you know what they think. So we try to make sure we talk to lots of different drivers and not talk to the same drivers all the time. But there are a few drivers. You know, Ryan Hunter Ray is one of them that I go to him and I get feedback, and the feedback is always all right. You know, understeer out of turn one, or you know, this is this is what we're looking at. Tony Kanon is another. Um, my first one of my first tire tests. I worked at Homestead two thousand seven. Um, we was he was debriefing about something, and he said something about oh, you made a change to the lower sidewall of the tire, and I'm going. I'm going to try not to look impressed here because I did make a change to the lower side all the time. How did wow. you know that? So, but of course, you know, try to look cool. Of yeah. course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Well, maybe we made a change, <laughs> but <laughs> it was really, it's, it's really interesting to see the different drivers and the different drivers feedback, not just quality of the feedback, but what they're looking for. And it makes it a bit of a challenge when you're testing tires because, you know, you could do, do something like make a stagger change and you could test it on somebody like Ed Carpenter looking at the cars that he grew up in. The more stagger, the better, but sure. you try it on somebody else and they're like whoa what is this you need to like i know you warned me but warn me stronger next time (laughs) so identical tires you can you can look and you get vastly different feedback so it's why we always test with a honda and chevy and why we always look at the type of person that we're testing to get that feedback so it definitely can be a challenge um and then uh, again relying on their engineers is really good too because some of them have been around a long time and they can translate a little bit (laughs) Let's stay on the the management side because I think that's maybe an underappreciated aspect of what you do, right? The uh, the dealing dealing with the round black things is obviously the center, but the whole management structure into getting the most out of or creating the best tires. So I'd have to imagine another challenge that is like a human driven by human beings again is on the creation of a product that works. So if we step away from tires and go to, say, the engine companies again, the technical directors at a Chevy slash Ilmore or Honda Performance Development could say, we think that new this new camshaft profile is going to be the thing. They have those machined, installed, put it on their dyno in-house. The numbers say this. It's either thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. They can quantify. They know what's going out the door. They've not saying they won't do any track testing, but they, they have a pretty strong feeling of the quality of what they're putting out. You, on the other hand, aren't working in isolation. You are having to rely on the feedback from teams, from drivers saying, hey, have you thought about this? Whether it's compound-wise or construction for those who really understand tires. But tell me what it's like having to work in this village communal style 
where unlike those engine manufacturers, you can't just say, hey, we had a good idea and boom, go race it. You probably have to apply the same thing of, yeah, we've got some good ideas, but we do need your feedback, but we might have to filter out a little bit. I mean, it almost seems like you could get let, led down the, the wrong path if you aren't careful. How do you avoid that? Yeah, so that's fantastic. It's an art and a science for sure. Um, we Just recently, just in the last 10 years, we've been developing virtual capabilities so you can get a little bit closer with programming and with compounding and testing, and you have a little bit better of an idea. But let's face it, tires, round, black, made of rubber, some rubber, some strings, some metal, that's that's what your tire is. So you look at that, and it's much different than machining a piece of metal that has these nice, lovely tolerances. It's it's a, um, it's a it's a engineering marvel, a pneumatic tire, a racing tire. And so you make some even relatively small changes. You can feel those on the track. So... To be able to come up with our best tires from a virtual standpoint. And then the other huge thing is you can have the best construction in the world. And if you have a bad compound, the tire tread, it's not going to play nicely together. Or you can have the best compound and if the construction is not quite tuned for the track, you can have a a misinteraction too. So having both chemists, chemical engineers, and mechanical engineers and technicians on our team, they work together. And so when they're putting the tire together, it's not just like, hey, I have this tread and hey, I have this carcass <laughs> construction of the tire. You put your peanut Let's, butter in my yes, chocolate. Exactly. And- exactly. So having everybody sit in the same room and having everybody go to the races. So the same engineers that are designing these tires, they're working with passenger tires that design regular Bridgestone and Firestone passenger tires. But these race tire engineers, chemists, compounders, mechanical engineers, they're the ones that are at the track. So these are the ones that you see out in pit lane. We have technicians and engineers all up and down pit lane. So they are the ones that are talking to the driver. They're the ones that are talking to the teams, getting the feedback. They're the ones that are seeing the tires. So you don't have that disconnect that in many forms of engineering you do. Because these are, you know, they take that feedback right back and right back to the office so that we can keep innovating and keep working on the best design, better design for next year. So we've got about 15 minutes left or so. I want to close on a couple of random, random things. I hear you have a car that you've been working on for about 20 years, oh. 50 years, 100 <laughs> years. Tell us about this because, A, it sounds like a passion project. And is the not finishing it, is that actually just part of it to I, constantly have something fun to work on? It, it might be a thing. I, I When I was in school and in the Formula SAE program, I didn't know much about cars. And one of the guys on the team had this 92 Mustang LX and he drove it to work one day and it had a had a turbocharger and had a few other engine modifications. Oh, this this sounds problematic to begin it, with. It's yeah, hey, do you want to ride in this car? I'm like, sure. Oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. So I get in the car and I was like, oh, you know, just the the torque and the acceleration that this car had was just ridiculous and I was like, eh, I want one now. So poor broke college student me goes let me find something that I can work on. So I found one that was used and maybe not the best condition. What year? It's 95. Oh, wow. 95 Mustang GT. And I got it. I, I test drove it. And, you know, mechanically it was fine. And I got on the expressway and I was like, oh, <laughs> I was just really disappointed. Mm. It was like, 
I thought it was going to be fast. Of course, the one I had written in was fully modified and, and it, it had a lot done to it. So I was like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm going to school for engineering. I can figure things out, right? So I did what any normal college student would be and I switched my diet to ramen noodles <laughs> so I could save up for car parts. So going back and I, again, remember I didn't know much about cars at all at the time. When I started doing this, I looked at um, what you know, what can make my car fast? And this is embarrassing, Marshall, but, you know, the internet research told me you buy an exhaust and an exhaust adds 15 horsepower. Of course. Well, uh, um, so <laughs> I, I saved up my money to, to buy an exhaust system because that was the thing. And I thought, well, I can save up my money to buy this and then I could save up my money to have somebody install it for me or... I can figure this yeah, absolutely. out. Absolutely. So my dad's like, I'm not going to help you, but you can use my tools if you wanted. So I it was like, I yeah, I can figure this out. This is not a problem. So I just, you know, it took me probably five, ten times as long as they say it should take you because I was learning how to do all these things. And of course, you know, if you're working on a 95 Mustang in 2000, you're going to have some rust fall in yes. your eyes and some butt bolts that are stuck that shouldn't be stuck. <laughs> so I, uh, I, Using all these things, learning what PB Blaster is and, and just kind of learning on the fly and like, okay, I got that together. And of course, you know, you buy aftermarket kits, nothing fits the uh, same. It's, it's th- a right, machine but, to the lowest of tolerances. Yes, exactly. But then I got to that and I was like, well, you know, I still need to make it, it a little bit more powerful. So I got a, a screw typed supercharger. So like I eat through tires like wow. nonsense. So it's it's got a uh, Kenny Bell supercharger that's got just a whole crap ton of low end torque. It's it's just really fun to drive. Um, so but yeah, like like anybody you see around here, some people have their their cars all together. Sometimes, you know, it's something I always like to work on. Every once in a while, my, I have lower back problems. So spending lots of time yeah, wrenching yeah. on a car is not necessarily the best for it. But, you know, it, you go back and forth. Sometimes when you're working so hard at the track, sometimes the last thing you want to go home and look at is a car that you need to, to work on. But um, it's been fun. Um, I learned a lot about that. I did so much studying and so much. It's great for project management too, because if you decide that you want to do something to the engine, and this is ridiculous, Marshall, but I started by detailing the engine or detailing the engine bay. What? I was like, make the engine bay better. I'm like, well, you know what? I could really make it a lot better if I cleaned out under the engine, maybe even sure. painted it. So I went to Harbor Freight and got a cherry picker. So <laughs> pulled the engine out so I could clean it. And I was like, well, dang it, while the engine's out. While I'm here. I what if I just, you know, bore the cylinders, have send it, then send the block to a machine shop and bore the cylinders and have it notched just in case I want to put a stroker kit in it. And so wow. um I did the I did the building part and the machine shop did the clearancing and, and that work. And it was just a fun project for me to be able to learn. So the 302 block has been out forever. So when I when I went, I bought the book. This is before everything was on the internet, but I bought the book, How to Rebuild a Small Block Ford. And I'm learning things like, oh, there's a such th- such thing as a two-piece remain seal versus... So it was the, the block has been around so long that pieces have evolved. What was a blind hole is now a through hole. So when you're putting the, the head studs in, you realize, oh, wait... 
I'm not supposed to use our TV like the manual I'm yes. using says. I actually or not supposed to use uh, anesthes. I'm supposed to use our TV because they're not blind holes. They're through holes. But these are things that I didn't really know. So it's learning on the fly. Um, it was it was just a really fun project to do, and it caused a lot of headaches, blood, sweat, and tears went into that car, but I could never sell it. Like, there's just, I, it was so much of a learning process for me, and I learned so much about it that I, I just, I don't think I could ever part with it. Oh, that is so awesome. All right, I'll ask you two more questions before we got to let you go. Saw some great photos recently of you uh, as a passenger in a vehicle. A certain guy who I believe has a Formula One World Championship, Indy 500 ring, has won the Daytona 500, class winner at Le Mans. I'm just saying, care if you're if you're choosing a chauffeur, uh, Mario Andretti is about as good as you can get. Tell us about that because you know you he's driven on your products for a long time. Um, getting a ride with the man himself in two seater. Tell us about that. Uh, that was. It was an experience of a lifetime. I was on pit lane and Mr. Andretti came up to me and he said, Kara, what did you change about the tires this year? And I was like, well, you know, we made some minor changes. The left left front tire changed a little bit to change the feedback of the car a little bit. Um, he said, well, they're faster. And I was like, okay, you know, it might be a little bit more grip. But he said, I, I need to show you. And I was like, show me. Okay. And we're not he talking said, uh, St. Petersburg no, street no. course. No, the Indianapolis we're talking Motor the, Speedway. The big one. So he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, <laughs> I don't know, Mario. What am I doing tomorrow? He goes, "Do you, are you free around 8 o'clock? And I was like, yep, absolutely. He goes, yeah. He's like, well, I'll, get, I'll give you a ride tomorrow. And I was like, okay. I have never been on an oval with our tires on a two-seater. So I was like... Okay, so I called the fine folks at IRE and I said, oh, by the way, I talked to Mario and Mario said he wants to give me a ride tomorrow. They're like, oh, sure, absolutely, no problem. Shonda over there is amazing. So I, I went over and brought my fire suit with me because I don't want to borrow somebody else's fire yes. suit. Come on. So I went over and, and I was chatting with him and he's pointing out the differences in the tires. And I'm like, it just, I'm geeking out the whole time because. I have met a lot of drivers and a lot of impressive people in my lifetime. The only person I've ever geeked out about is Mario Andretti. The first time I met him, I think it was like Marco and Danica were in a room and I was like, oh, that's Mario Andretti. <laughs> like, it, was just, it was just really cool. So to actually have him want to show me something about the tires, I don't think I could have picked it out, to be quite honest. I mean, I, this is the first time I had been in a two-seater. So the whole time I was like, I know everything about tires, but how the heck are we sticking to the ground I mean, <laughs> on our outlap? I was just going, there's no banking here. I mean, I can tell you about the force moment properties of the tire until I'm blue in the face and you're tired of talking to me. But to actually feel what it's like and the absolute trust that he has in our tires and that I had to have in him before we went out there, one of the folks from IRE said, do you trust Mario? And in my mind, and I didn't, you know, this wasn't anything pre-thought to this at all. I was like, you know what? He trusts the tires. So if he trusts his Firestone, I trust him. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's got to trust you too. Wow. I was like, you know, it's not something I had thought about, but if if he has the confidence in the tires, I have the all the confidence in the world in, in him. But just on that outlap, I was like, we've got to be defying laws of physics here. There's, there's magic pony <laughs> dust in these tires somehow. Yes. Well, let's close on a question that I hope doesn't make you bashful or uncomfortable, but you have become a you've become a lightning rod for women who want to succeed in areas where 
not many women have had a chance to yet. Whether you want to say a role model or just someone who is a living example of if you have a passion for this thing and it's mostly men and testosterone, don't let that be a barrier. Have you found comfort in being that person? Someone who folks can come up to you and say either thank you or my daughter wants to be such a thing. I mean... That, that has to be a pretty amazing experience. You probably weren't anticipating in college. I was not anticipating that. And at first, it was pretty overwhelming. Um, I don't ever like to make a big deal about myself. Yeah. Um, but if I can do what I do and encourage other people to that they can do these pretty impressive things, then that's cool. But being able to see kids come up to me and just... Like, Ask me for my autograph, which I still think is ridiculous. But so I'm I'm not a driver. No, I still I I still want your autograph, and it just it kind of blows my mind that yeah. you know I have that maybe effect on people, or that I have the ability to do that. And it's it's really it's not lost on me, Marshall. It's it's something that I um, I, I take very seriously. And then to be able to do this, I think, is a I've been given this gift of this role. I mean, not that I didn't work really, really hard for it, but not had too many people to get to do what they love to do, but to be able to take that and to inspire others. I mean, there's a lot of females that are working in IndyCar in all sorts of facets, but I've got a soft spot for engineering, of course, and the lady engineers on pit lane we get together every once in a while and it's it's great because I'm able to mentor them. Again, I don't feel old. I just turned 40. <laughs> I don't feel old, but it, it's neat to be able to like pass along some of my experiences to them and to even encourage the already professional engineers. I learn a lot from them. We learn a lot from each other. And sometimes it's just good to sit down and talk about, oh, my gosh, can you believe this thing happened? So um, I love talking to the kids at the racetrack. I love hearing about the kids that are interested in science. It's, it's something that's really cool. Thanks, Kara Adams. Thank you. And that was the awesome Kara Adams. Genuinely hope you enjoyed this. If so, please share it. Certainly a case where as we spend time with those who are influencing our sport and making a big positive impact, wanting to help share their stories so more can not only hear, but hopefully be moved and hopefully respond and react and do positive things of their own, maybe even in this lovely space of motor racing. And if you haven't already... You can visit our MarshallPruittPodcast.com site. Just about a month and a half, two months old now, where every episode we have ever posted, 500 plus, are sitting there waiting for your listening enjoyment. And if you're listening for the first time, there's also a page dedicated to the variety of ways to subscribe. So MarshallPruittPodcast.com. Give it a look. All right. Well, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Thank you for listening.